All right, welcome to the show today, Brandon. How are you doing? Damn, I'm doing really good. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. I know you've got a great story. You're doing a lot of interesting stuff in real estate development, specifically on capital raising, you know, doing double double uh, digit millions, you know, amounts like into the eight figure level of capital raising per year. So I'm sure we're going to get into that. But first, give our audience a little background and overview of who you are and what you do. Yeah. So, you know, when you've got some discretionary income and you're not sure where to invest it because inflation's out of control, stock markets at all time highs, you're just not sure where to put it. What we do is we help investors reach financial freedom and create passive income and secure it with recession resistant real estate that's designed to be insulated against the market and how we do that's really unique. But it's been a long journey since coming to that point. I used to do medical device sales. So yeah. if you had a torn ACL, torn rotator cuff, you'd go in the hospital, doctor would stitch you up, get y'all repaired, and he would use my products. So I had a cool secondary life in the past of going in the hospitals, working with surgeons, getting to be part of surgery, helping patients. And uh, one Friday, my boss sits me down at a coffee shop and then politely lets me go. And at that moment, I was shocked. Yeah. Uh, it came out of left field. I had this nice and neat sales award that he'd given me, you know, rookie of the year. And uh, I was just, I was confused. And uh, I think it was at that point where I realized that nobody was going to be taking care of me financially except myself. So I had to go figure out how to go do that. And then uh, real estate was just the first of several things that took off. I had many failed ventures before that. What, um, that, that's interesting because, you know, did, did he give you a reason? Like, was the company not profitable or just doing massive, massive layoffs. Cause a lot of people think like it's risky to get into real estate or it's risky to start a business. But in a lot of ways, I think the, I think the situation is actually reversed. Yeah. You know, it was a situation where, you know, him and I are still friends to this day. I still have a lot of respect for him. I don't know what was, you know, going on, you know, I had I'd won this nice award and I think it was June of like 2015 or 2016, something like that. And, um, you know, he had, he had let his secretary go that had been with him for like 15 years. Um, he had tried to kind of reduce the commissions on some other reps doing some other stuff and some other products. Like we were 100% commissions. That's why I didn't really understand it. And I'd spent six months training a guy as kind of like my associate and um you know as soon as he was up and running that's sort of when i went out the door so um I, to be honest with you i don't know i don't know why hmm. he did it um you know maybe i wasn't growing the territory fast enough right but he didn't give a really you know great reason he, he just said you know i can't afford to pay what i've been paying you and i've got to go in a different direction that was pretty much it yeah, so I guess you know the whole point of it is you don't even know the reason you were performing well, won an award, and people get this mentality sometimes that you know, I can't get into real estate or start this business because it's it's risky. I need the security of this job, but in fact, we don't. You know, if you're W two, you don't you don't control your job. Someone else does, and they might not even be in control, right? They may have shareholders or another boss, or, you know, whoever, right? So so. I think this notion that the job is actually more secure than other things is kind of backwards. Uh, so what did you do next after that? <laughs> so I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Honestly, yeah. 
I had been in a position where I was already on the self-help kick. I read a ton of books. I'm addicted to growth. It's one of my core values. So I was like, thank goodness that I've lived underneath my means for so many years. I had a little bit of a nest egg, not like a ton of money for a you know, 25, 26 year old, but I got enough for, you know, I was good for six months, right? So I was like, well, you know, let's give this whole entrepreneur thing a shot. And uh, the, <laughs> the first 10 days after I realized I didn't have to show up, from surgeries to 6 a.m. to you know, 5 p.m. at night, I watched a lot of Shark Tank. So I was trying to get inspired. I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, maybe I'll get some ideas on here, and, and I'll tell you something funny. And actually, I haven't told many people this, I don't think. But I saw the Shark Tank episode where this guy pitched an idea to sell people potatoes with a message on it. And then I think Kevin O'Leary invested in it. And... I remember watching this, sitting on my couch going, if this guy can sell potatoes with a message on them and make money, I've got to be able to figure this thing out. So I, you know, I started going to all these real estate meetups because I knew I needed to find a mentor, right? The old ad age advice. And maybe we can dive into how I did that rather than give, you know, the audience some subjective advice. Maybe we can go into some actionable step-by-step -step stuff that they can do to get a mentor. But I also started a course on how to show people how to break into medical device sales because I had a lot of people reaching out to me about that over the years and they want to know how. So I'd help several people get into the industry. It's like, you know, yep, that's a skill that I have. And then I had this motivational blog because I was reading a lot of Tony Robbins stuff. I love motivation. It changed my life. So I had all these different things, but ended up meeting my now business partner to this day at a meetup. We decided to do some JV stuff that led to flipping houses. We had the same vision, our core values were aligned. We both agreed we just wanted to grow this company. So every little, literally every single home that we sold, we just dumped all the money back into the business in the hmm. form of mastermind, mentoring, marketing, hiring people. And you know, you do that for five, six years, you know, you get a nice, beautiful business that you see today. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love everything you just said. I, th I think the mentorship is very important or, or finding, you know, and that can be direct or indirect mentors. And I get that question a lot on Instagram, mm -hmm. TikTok, email, you know, people are always, you know, you know, I'm 18, 19, 20, whatever age, right? I'm looking to get into real estate. How do I find a mentor? How do I get started? So what would your advice be to people with those types of questions? Great question. So this is what I did. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the exact same thing. So one is find the people that you want to be mentored, right? Who's doing what you want to do? If you want to get an Airbnb, go find someone Airbnb. Don't find somebody who's flipping houses. And once you've got like a list of people, they're easy to find. Look on Facebook, go to meetups, ask around, network. And so when you're, when you're networking and you're asking around, you're going to these meetups, there's, there's, Two questions that you really need to ask. Really, there's one main one, right? Because the whole idea of going to these networking events, finding these mentors, and once you find them, you need to make sure that you're adding value. So trying to figure out what they want. So, you know, to this day, when I go to a networking event or I go to a mastermind event, I'm meeting new people. One of the first sentences out of my mouth is, you know, where are you struggling with your business right now? Or what are the biggest obstacles for you? You know, where are you trying to get to? And I'm just trying to undercover the needs. You know, what are they looking for? It's a whole sales process, right? It's the exact same thing. I want to figure out what they want. So if you found someone you've identified in the mentor, say you've met them and you're like, you're not sure what the next step is. You're like, man, I got Grant Cardone in front of me. Like, what? How do I get on this guy's schedule? What do I need to do? 
ask them, you know, where are you trying to get to? What are your goals? You know, what's holding you back right now? What are the biggest problems you're facing? And that's what I did with this guy when I met him at Starbucks. We're the only two people that showed up for this meetup. It was like a rich dad, poor dad meetup, something like that. And uh, you know, he was from Colorado Springs. His girlfriend lived in, in Nashville, and he was commuting. And he was he had a bunch of Airbnbs over there. He was uh, he'd flipped houses before. He was wanting to grow a wholesale business here. And I was like, I've heard of wholesaling. Well, what do you need? What are you looking for? He's like, honestly, we just need leads right now. I was like, so if I can find the leads, you you know you can you know what to do with it from there. If we find it, he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so I you know being the crazy guy that I am. I just went out, took a ton of action. I started literally stapling those We Buy Houses to uh, signs, uh, the uh, telephone poles. And I was answering the phone, had a little call rail system set up, ended up landing a foreclosure, uh, mm. made 30, 40 grand on it, and literally just took all that money and just dumped it back in the business. I think that was like six years ago this day. If you'd, you'd asked me six years ago that we'd be, you know, building 66 homes a year centered towards new home buyers like I would have thought you were bonkers it has been a really fun ride so it all starts with finding that mentor but making sure you're asking the right questions and figuring out what they need and then going out and getting them what they need yeah I love that approach I, you know I, it doesn't even have to apply to a mentor just anyone that you want to do business with or trying to recruit like asking them what their biggest problem is and then figuring out you know can you solve it can you provide value in that area. And I also liked your, your piece of advice there. I tell people the same thing as well on going to local real estate meetup groups, right? Like that, you know, you might not want to get started in your own area. Like, you know, maybe you're in a high cost area or there's some other place you like better and that that's, that's fine. But I, but I think everyone should start with who is doing this at a high level close to me, right? Just because it's, you know, you have proximity, right? So go to those, go to those meetup groups. Yeah. yeah. And be cognizant too. You know, for example, I probably, you know, if Grant Cardone's going to explain how to do something, the guy's a $3 billion portfolio, right? Like we're doing $20 million a year of affordable new construction, you know, maybe going and find someone again, who's in that niche, not just doing it at a high level, but like is at the level that you want to do in your niche would be really important. Yeah, I think that's another good point. Like, like you said, right? You, you know, if you're just starting out, you, you know, Cardone is is like thirty steps ahead of, of someone that's yeah. <laughs> just starting out. Like, maybe try to find some people that are at the ten million or fifty million or hundred million dollar level first, right? And, yeah. and then, you know, kind of kind of work your way up. I, I love. Love that advice. Well, how did how did you get into what you're you're doing today? This this focus on residential development for lower income housing or affordable housing, I should say, and and maybe define that as well because you know we're not talking Section Eight, right? A lot of people, a lot of times, you hear like affordable housing, and people automatically think we're talking Section Eight. That's not what we're, what we're talking about here. So, uh, how did you get? into what you're doing today and and what exactly is that yeah so what we're doing is we're building affordable homes targeting first-time home buyers right and I, I still have i don't know how to define this term because i say hey you know we build affordable new construction products right people are like oh you build section eight and low-income housing i'm like 
can we take the word affordable and like attach different thoughts and feelings to it? I still haven't figured out how to like say that, but yeah, we don't do section eight. We don't do low income housing. We're literally trying to target. We look for unique opportunities, right? So like what are the recession resistant real estate products right now, especially, right? It's going to be the highest demand, lowest supply products, affordable new construction homes. Nobody can find them 300, $400,000 range. But, um, before I got into that and got into doing, you know, building neighborhoods for first-time homebuyers, I, uh, you know, again, I, you've heard my story, kind of how we got into wholesaling and flipping. So we built a nice flipping business up, and uh, we were doing, you know, 30, 40-plus deals a year. And then over time, we just, we saw that we were having to go on a lot more appointments. Mm. We saw that the margins were getting squeezed. We were making the same amount of money selling a more expensive product. So... You know, making you know forty, fifty thousand dollars on a two hundred and sixty-five thousand dollar home. Now it was you know thirty-five thousand dollar profits on a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar home. You know that's that's a lot more less margin, and that's a lot less margin. Is just another word, in my opinion, for comfort of safety. Right. Nice big equity stacks. So we we felt like we were in a red ocean, right? Mm. It's just a bloodbath. Gurus were coming to town every week. You, you know, uh, Dan Merrill comes in with Fortune Builders. You got 300 new investors coming over the weekend. And a lot of big boys were coming to town, setting up. Everybody was flipping houses. And so we just, we saw a lot of dumb money buying real estate. And we didn't want to be part of the dumb money. Because what they were doing was working. And the reason it was working and they were making good money was because of the appreciation. They weren't buying it right. They were buying it actually with the whole thing of losing money going into it and then eight months later making their money that's we did not want to play that game so when we felt like we were getting squeezed we did a tactical pause and over the past like six years we had done probably seven new construction projects by accident and we showed up and like it's tornado damaged home or it's like a you know half burnt down home and we're looking at the you know what we'd buy it and what we'd rehab it for and we realized like oh wow we can buy these products for what the what we can sell the land for essentially Right, so you had this half burnt down home. We're like, well, why don't we just cut all the black out of it? Hired a structural engineer, had the city come out, have them prove everything, and then just reframe everything up. And so that's what we started doing. And I remember the light bulb went off where we had this home in uh, in Ashland City. It's a suburb of Nashville, and it took us like, oh my gosh, like ten months to rehab this home. It took way too long. And then we had this other home that was within proximity to downtown. It was a new construction home that we were doing. And I remember when we built that home in six to seven months, and it took us 10 months to rehab that home, and we literally made three times as much money with the new construction product. And we were like, wait a minute. Hmm. We're missing something here. And so we looked at this. We looked at all past seven new construction projects. with the go, you know, this went a lot easier than a lot of these full gut rehabs that – have so many surprises attached to them. Right. So we pivoted the entire business. We shut off all the marketing. I told the sales team to go out and do nothing but find homes off market, right? Cold calling, door knocking. Like we were very laser approached in the areas we wanted to do because we were chasing these densities. We went to, we actually went to all the, the mayors in the local areas and said, where do you want to see density? And brought a map. And they literally circled it. And they said, we want density here, 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 here. Well, now, You've got the blueprint from you, and we just went and laser targeted those areas. When we did that, we realized that there were so many deals because not many people were doing new construction. And 
we were in a very interesting position because one of the things that we had done to give ourselves an edge on our costs when rehabbing homes was we started our own construction company. If you're like us and you hate dealing with, with general contractors and they never hit their metrics and they don't communicate, like we just got sick of that and said there's way too much risk doing this and having a third party manage our own assets. So that's what we did. We built out the construction team. We had the the sales arm that finds everything off market. So everything was going great at this point. And then we ran out of money. Anybody mm. ever had that problem? You got all <laughs> your money locked up in real estate projects and then you got salaries and you got to pay people and you got interest payments, the lenders. We had this, this capital problem and we couldn't scale. So we started HBG Capital. And when we started HBG Capital, we were able to bring investors in completely passive. They loved the fact that they didn't have to find the deals. They didn't have to manage the deals. They had someone with an extensive background. And when we did that, we were able to pull all of our funds back into our account and make the hires, uh, manage the business, the cash flow, like everything at that point just worked beautifully. It's like a, a perfect symphony, right? All the right people playing the right instrument. And at that point, that's when things really took off. Hmm. What, um, what, what type of deals were these? Like you go to these mayors, you're like, where do you want density of affordable housing? Which I'm, I'm sure they all would, would love to say they helped do, or, or for most of them anyway. Um, you know, were you, did you, did you switch from doing like a one house at a time to doing bigger tracks or, you know, t like doing subdivisions? Like, like how, how, how does that model look? Is it, is it infill or, um, Give us some more details on that part of it. Yeah, great question. So when we first started, we were doing a lot of infill. Right. So still similar model, chasing the sellers, you know, one seller, we can build two homes on one of their lots. And, you know, we got to where we we're doing, you know, probably 30 plus projects with that. But we, were, we knew that in order for us to scale, we had to do more projects in the same area. And so this is where the density thing came. We said, well, who approves the density? Well, that would be the you know, the mayor and the city and the planning commission. And so that's what we did. We literally showed up and, and granted this wasn't in downtown Nashville, right? Different, different politics there. It's much more difficult to get to the right people, but you can meet with the district councilman there. We were going to the tertiary markets where everybody was moving after COVID. Huge opportunity there. Those markets blew up after COVID. So we knew that's where we wanted to be. So they were more than happy to meet with us because they want density. They want to increase tax dollars. They want to develop their city. And they were surprised because they're like, no one's done this. No one's come and asked us what we want. They just bring us stuff and push us to do it. So they really liked that. We built some rapport with them and they showed us literally, they said, we want density here, here, this is what we need. And they told us what products they needed too. They're like, look, builders that build here, they're building these crap products. It's just crap. And we're looking on them and, you know, it's builder grade stuff. There's no wow factor whatsoever. And we're like, huh, okay. And we literally just went to those areas. We started speaking with the homeowners. We we're targeting people that owned a lot of land too. Because we realized that it takes just as much time and effort to talk to one person where you can do one or two deals as it does to talk to somebody that has 5,000 acres and can feed you for the next 10 years. And that's what we did. We started building those relationships. And when we did that, then we were able to switch to a more land development infrastructure. You know, we got 46 townhomes going on in, in one of these cities. And we wouldn't have been able to do that had we not taken that approach and switched our thinking and talked to the, 
the mayors, what they wanted, and then started going after these people with, you know, a ton of land that they owned. That's That's been the key. So now we don't have like a gigantic art marketing arm, you know, spending $30,000, $40,000 a month anymore with a giant sales team. We've got a very small pond of sellers that we've cultivated relationships with. We've built trust with them. We've delivered on every single deal that they've sold us. And they're just slowly feeding us stuff. And we're taking the time to do all the grunt work by rezoning it, um, subdividing it, doing the civil work on it, the sur all that stuff that you need. And they couldn't be more happy because we're literally taking their land and making it more valuable so that we can buy it for them at a higher price than they can currently get. So it's worked out beautifully. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're now getting more density per project. You've got the construction team to to fuel that, move it along. How did you go out and, and start to get more capital? Yeah, so when I first started, it was a friends and family approach, right? I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I had a really good product, right? I'd used hard money in the past. I'd used my own money. I felt very comfortable using, you know, friends and family's, uh, you know, money at this point. So I did what everybody does is I made the awkward phone calls. <laughs> I've never asked my parents for money in my entire life. Not even like when I went to, to college. There was one time on, on, I think, spring break my freshman year where I brought down a thing of a pack of oatmeal, bananas, and uh, I think it was like bologna and bread. I go, this is what I'm going to eat for the whole week. I'm going to save all my money for the fun stuff. I ran out of food two, three days into it. And I was literally going to restaurants, putting tartar sauce on crackers and eating it as my friends had these like, big fish dinners and lobsters and all this stuff. My mom found out about it and sent me like $200. I mean, that's how scared I was to ask. I just, it's just not who I am, right? I don't, I don't like to ask for help. But um, started reaching out and uh, reaching out to my network too that I'd met at all these real estate events. So I literally had uh, like a list of people and I put like wants to lend at the end of their name. So if I meet somebody and, and they've got some money and they were interested in, in lending and looking for opportunities, I just put wants to lend. So now when I type in my phone, wants to lend, all these names popped up. So I just started texting and, and calling them and letting them know what I was doing, getting my name out there. Everybody in my circle kind of knew what I was doing. And I landed probably $800,000 my first go around. Uh, those deals went really well. Uh, kept doing the same thing. And I was like, man, I don't like making all these phone calls. I've got to figure out a way that people can reach out to me. Where like I, you know, I'm the guy they're coming to and it's not the other way around. Because investors are like cats, right? If they feel like you're needy and you need the money and, uh, you know, you're in a position where, uh, you know, you need them more than they need you, then, you know, that's a tough position to raise capital in, right? Nobody wants to lend to somebody who's really needy. So I was like, well, how do I build it where I don't have to do any work and they come to me? And so that's when I started investing in, you know, other masterminds, you know, um, systems and processes. I started hiring some vendors and I built this really unique system that now all the capital will flow to us and we can take care of our investors. We can jump into that rabbit hole if you want to. Well, yeah. What, uh, how did you, what did the switch from friends and family, which I think is a, a great starting point for anyone looking to get more capital, but how did you make that switch? Yeah, so we uh, we joined a, a mastermind, and it was just strictly focused on raising capital. So they had a lot of really unique systems and processes, and the guys in that group were doing it at a much higher level than, than what we were doing. And I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." Up to this point, I'd raised you know probably four or five million dollars, something like that. 
And what they did was they gave us a whole system and I'll kind of touch base and I'll, I'll show you what this system looks like. So raising money is just like any other business. You've got the top of the funnel where you've got, you know, cold traffic or warm traffic that comes in. You've got a CRM system to manage it. You've got a sales process and education process. And then you've got like the closing at the very end. So this whole funnel, first you want to focus on the top part of the funnel. So how do you get cold traffic or warm traffic to come to you? Well, the first thing is you need a website. And on your website, you need some kind of gift, right? A lot of people like to use eBooks, something that's going to educate the people that are coming to your website. And I'll speak to this point before we go further down the funnel. You want to know who your target avatar is. So when you first start out, you're probably not going to have one. But, mm. you know, for example, our target avatar are busy business owners that have businesses that don't have time to jump into real estate that want to reduce their taxable uh, liability and create passive income so they don't have to work forever. Right. So business owners, busy, reduced taxes. These are all pain points of the avatar. So what we did was we created an ebook that hits on those pain points and it explains recession resistant real estate and how you can invest in real estate and not have 2008 or nine take you out completely again. And you don't have to do the work to do anything. Pretty cool. So what we would do is we would create content that is catered towards the needs and the wants of our target avatar. And so social media, go where the eyeballs are. Social media is a free tool. We've raised millions of dollars off of it. And all we do is just post every single day content that tells people what we're doing, how we can help them, and speaks to the specific pains and needs of busy business owners with discretionary income that want to reduce their taxable liability. So once we started doing that, posting every single day, we started to get a lot of traction to our website. Once we... Um, once we started, I've got this, this email list of about 5,500 agents and investors that we used to wholesale properties to. So we, you know, create the packet, blast it out, send it out. Anybody in the wholesale business knows how this works. We had this big cash buyers list of people that were interested in buying single family property for flips or rentals. I was like, what if I, what if I just created content that educated them on the benefits of passive investing in other people's deals? So once a week, I'd create a video. And I'd make it short and quick. And again, delivering value, delivering value. We've been doing that for years and we've raised millions of dollars from that list. So think about where your target avatars are at the top of the funnel. Where are their eyeballs? And how can you deliver value out of content that's going to get them interested to come in? Now, once they come in, you've got to get, you've got to set up something to convert them. So we do a free ebook. It's on our website hbgcapital.net. It's recession-resistant passive income, and it basically breaks down our whole strategy and what we like to invest in. Now, when you get that ebook, you're also going to be entered into a drip campaign. We love Active Campaign for this. It's a great CRM, and it has a ton of really cool automations that you can set up per stage. Well, this first automation, when you sign it up for it, it, sends you a welcome email, sends you the ebook, delivers a ton of value. Well, then you go into, you'll receive six other emails over the course of the next six days, and they are all content that has the highest views on our YouTube channel. Hmm. So we've realized like what content is speaking to our audience. One of them is how to set up a self-directed IRA where you can use your investment, your, uh, your retirement accounts, like your 401k, your Roth, your, your, your IRA, and convert it over to a self-directed account and actually use it to invest in real estate. That was a really popular one. 
I do a video on depreciation and how you can make an investment and be able to write that investment that you make off against your income and save more in taxes. It's absolutely huge. As well as some other stuff like testimonials and case studies of actual deals that we've done. And all I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to deliver as much value to them in education to make them feel comfortable. And then at the very end of the sequence, we invite them for a no pressure introductory call just to get to know them better. Now, if they schedule the call, then all I'm wanting to do on that call is get to know them and their goals. There's no sales approach. There, there's no like pressure on anything. We just want to literally get to know them better and make sure it's a fit. So we're trying to undercover what are their goals in life. You know, great, you want to make money. What do you want to do with that money? You want to pay for your kid's college? You want to go on that vacation? You want to quit your job as a dentist? Um, you want to quit your job as a doctor? I mean, I've, I've heard it all. A lot of people, they don't really know what they want. And that's the job of this call is to help them figure that out. And so once we've figured that out, then we can say, okay, well, you know, how much are you comfortable investing? Um, you know, how long do you, until you need this money, is, is, do you have a home purchase coming up? So we're, we're very careful because we don't want to put them in a situation where they're investing something and they're going to like need it, you know, eight months from now, nine months from now. So we really just do a discovery call that's all about them. And a lot of them leave and, you know, they never invest, but they've got a better idea of what they should be doing. A lot of times people actually want to invest with us. And we actually turn them down because they need to do things like start an emergency fund, um, you know, maybe buy a home first. There's some other steps that we advise them to do before they invest, you know, capital with us. So we really do have a fiduciary responsibility to put our potential investors' needs first, and that's what this introductory call is for. After that, if it's a fit, we keep in touch with them, and uh, you know, we'll send them some opportunities and make sure it's a fit. Yeah, I I love that whole strategy, top to to bottom. You know how how you're 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 starting with just value up front and content that's generated around getting, you know, who you think would be your ideal investor, and then you know we do the active campaign drip as as well. So I think I think that's a pretty good tool. There's a lot of great CRMs out there. So now I, I think overall this this is this is the approach, right? You you you. Go out, start start small like you did, doing a deal at a time, then add density, friends and family, and then you know go to go to a greater audience to get the capital. So uh, love what you're doing and, and love the value you brought to our show. I always end with the hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire questions and answers now, yeah, shit, I'll give you some rapid fire answers. All right, what's your biggest piece of advice to a new investor? Create the problem and then go solve it. A lot of people build these obstacles in their head where it's like, oh, I'm not going to go find a deal because I don't have the money for it. Go find the deal and now you got a problem. You need to go find the money. Whatever you're trying to do, go create the problem first and then work on solving it. What's the biggest mistake you see successful real estate investors making? Oh, biggest mistake successful real estate investors are making. I would say wealth protection. A lot of guys are over leveraging right now. They're not paying attention to what's going on in the market. They need to keep 2008, 2009 in the back of their head. They're, they're doing too much leverage. It is, it's crazy what I'm seeing right now. Um, people are buying really stupid deals and they're playing the appreciation game rather than buying the asset right with the equity into it. I'm seeing a lot of that right now. What is the biggest challenge you've had in business and what did you learn from it? 
biggest challenge I had in the business was learning to let go. Um, there's a book I keep right here on my countertop. I don't know if you can see it, but it's Who Not How. And I keep mm. that book here as a constant reminder that I can't do anything. So whenever I, I'm finding myself asking, how do I need to do something? I need to ask who has the resources and knowledge to be able to knock this out of the park. All right. I love that book as well. So I recommend that one for anyone listening. Um, if you had to start all over, you couldn't take your reputation, your contacts, your money with you, just the things you've learned, what would you do differently, if anything? I'd go sniff out the blue oceans. Where are the parties people are not going to? That's what we're at right now as a vertically integrated capital raising and construction company. We control everything from start to finish. I would start out by looking for those opportunities. There's a huge opportunity right now in people who can just entitle land. Like if you if you can figure out that process and go find it and rezone it and title it and just sell it to a, another builder, there is nobody is doing that. Nobody knows how to do that. Everyone's focused on wholesaling and flipping and it's just a bloodbath. So I would figure out those areas that there is a blue ocean and a lot of low hanging fruit and I would focus there. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Man, it's a tough question. Every time I write down these five-year visions, they, they, I always hit them in like one or two years. Not to brag on myself, but literally it's crazy because we have a tool with all these visions and, and how to hit it and everything to go. We use a lot of EOS and traction. But um, right now, five years from now, 300 single-family homes a year targeting first-time home buyers in Middle Tennessee. And we want to be building some more commercial, specifically storage units and cl you know, Class B multifamily here in Middle Tennessee. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Brandon. Before we sign off, if people want to connect with you on social media or just learn more about what you're doing, uh, what are the ways they should do that? Yeah. So you, if you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website, hbgcapital.net. That's harrybobgarycapital.net. Um, we've got free resources. We've got free eBooks, 100 questions passive investors should be asking for investing, um, recession resistant, passive income. All of it's free. There's no strings attached to it. Um, if you're interested in getting in touch, you can send us an email at info at hbgcapital.net. And, uh, you know, my name is Brandon Cobb, like corn on the cob. I'm on all the social media channels. Check out our content. I love delivering value. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Brandon, and to all of our listeners and viewers out there. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us some feedback on this show and share it with people that you think would benefit from listening or watching it as well. We'll see you next time. All right. Thank you.